Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 375 of the RV Podcast. Have you ever thought about volunteering at national parks? Well, this interview this week is with a couple who have volunteered at nine different parks. I think you're going to really enjoy this. Welcome, fellow travelers. It's time for another episode of the RV Podcast. Answering your questions, sharing tips, suggesting great trips and off-the-beaten-path adventures, and always staying on top of the RV lifestyle news you need to know about with great interviews and inside industry information. Here's your hosts, award-winning journalists Mike and Jennifer Wendland. Well, welcome once again, everybody, to episode 375, being released on December 15th, 2021. I'm Mike Wendland, and this is my lifelong traveling companion and my bride, Jennifer. Merry Christmas. And Merry Christmas to you as well. You shouldn't tell me Merry Christmas because uh, I'm not where I need to be. <laughs> yeah, it is a busy time of year, isn't it? It certainly is. And, and it didn't help that I've had you on the road for the last week or so. <laughs> it's been crazy. We um, just returned from Tennessee, and we had a ball uh, working on the land, on that uh, five-acre hunk of land that we bought. We've closed on that property, and last week we uh, uh, spent uh, several days uh, helping uh, get our driveway in, the trees cleared for it, and, uh, and then we had uh, a meetup, went to a Christmas parade. We had such a great time. Had tornadoes. Yeah, those horrible tornadoes that so devastated uh, Kentucky in particular and uh, Arkansas and Illinois. Uh, they also came through our portion of Middle Tennessee, but not nearly as severe as, uh, as what you've been hearing in the news. But still, they were pretty impressive storms. Yes, instead of camping on our spot, we went to a hotel on Friday night because we didn't want to be in the woods, the we trees, in the wind. Didn't seem like a good we idea. We didn't think uh, uh, be, <laughs> being surrounded by trees and uh, and strong winds like that. And actually, it was probably a pretty wise choice because I had one of the things I did last week is I put a trail cam up. Um, over time, I want to see what kind of wildlife we have on the land. And I checked it when we came back to the land Saturday morning. And uh, about three o'clock, when that front went through, I mean, you could just see the trees moving. And enough motion in the trees that it turned on the motion detection on the on the trail cam, and then all these things were flying through the air. The tops of pine trees were getting broken off and twigs, and it it wouldn't have. I don't think we would have had any serious damage to the RV, but they would have been pelting the RV all yeah, night. Yeah, it wouldn't have been good for the RV. And actually, I did see that two trees were leaning. Yeah, uh, two pine trees. Well, actually, and then they, one had fallen yeah. in, in the back. So. So we got out of the woods and uh, and came back, but uh, it was kind of a raw, wet day on Saturday, but still we had uh, a dozen or so people that showed up to say hi, and uh, we gave them little tours of our property. We met some other property owners. Folks uh, from uh, all over the country were down there also shopping for, for RVN. So we're gonna have a lot of fun neighbors, I think. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. It's a, it's a good thing we're doing. We'll, we'll have a big video on it, and uh, you can kind of follow along. I know a lot of you have been asking us to kind of document the process of turning this raw land into a little RV retreat for ourselves. And we'll probably have three spots, two for us, or one for us and one for a couple of guests, right? Well, if I got a fifth wheel, I don't think it's going to work. You got a big fifth wheel, sorry, yeah. Maybe, well, maybe, maybe they, they can. pull up by the road, just yeah. off the road. Yeah, there, there's, there's, a way. There's, there's a way. There's a will, there's a way. But um, 
But pretty, pretty neat. We're going to put in three pads. Uh, we're waiting to get uh, the septic in, the electric in, the water in. Uh, all that is, is right nearby. So That's all got to get done before we can invite folks. Yep. But uh, we've had people already say, how are you going to let people know and invite them? And I don't know how we'll do that. We'll probably figure out a... Uh, we'll figure we'll collect out. names and draw them out of a hat. There you <laughs> go. You know, maybe something as simple. That'll work. As simple as that. Uh, but those storms were terrible, and uh, I don't want to minimize uh, mm -hmm. just the, the tragedy uh, that so many people were uh, were, were affected by. Um, for us, it was just, uh, you know, they went through, um, and it was, you know, good wind and rain and thunder, but that was that was about it. And the hotel we stayed at uh, at 2.30 in the morning, most of the guests uh, went to the basement. Well, most of them had somebody knock on their door. Nobody knocked on our door. Oh. But, we knew uh, the storm was there. But, but we was, heard about in the hallway. <laughs> we heard everybody in the hallway shuffling around, but uh, I figured the sirens, the town has a siren system, so I figured if one was coming, the siren would go off. And then I did wonder if the power was out, because it went out at 2.30, if go that out. affected the siren, but I just yeah, thought I maybe it wouldn't. That. Well, I thought of that. I thought, no, you wouldn't have a siren that depended upon electricity, because electricity is usually the first thing that goes, but your our, power. Our, um, our phones were on, uh, and we did get alerts. Uh, people have asked, a couple of, of people said, well, what do we do if we're camping and stuff? Well, I think what we did, you know, you assess your situation, and in a stormy weather, you want to get to where you are in the basement or in certainly a protected structure. Most campgrounds, it's a good idea, spring or whenever you go there, to find out uh, where the protected area is. Where's the Normally, shelter? the shelter is the bathroom, like at uh, Mousetail Landing. Yep. That is where you go. Or they have a specific area, so you should know where that is. And I'm thinking now you even have to think about flooding uh, roads. How do you get out of here in case you need to get out in a quick manner? And so it's always better to err on the side of caution, right? So yes. if there's something that you're not comfortable with, then just move, you know, leave, take your RV and go somewhere else for the, that time that the storms affect. And it's something that most people don't think of, your campsite number. Make sure that in case you had to call for help, you can tell people where you are. Yeah. The road, right down the campground. Address. Maybe yeah. a place, Home. a little whiteboard on your refrigerator or something, wherever. Because if you're traveling a lot night after night, it changes a lot. And when you're panicky, you might not be able to think of that. So that's... Just, I sound like such a little worry wart, but when, if but, you need help, you need to have that information. Those, those storms illustrate why we have to take these weather, serious weather yes. very seriously. So mm -hmm. always have a plan. And, and sometimes it's just like what we did. We got out of the woods and we went and spent a night in a hotel. And uh, that may be the best course. Maybe we'll do a video on that coming later. We didn't get any sleep at the hotel. Bo was afraid. Yeah. Uh, oh, it was very tired. Yeah. It was very stressful. And lots of and lots of fresh air. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he had a ball running around on that property. All right, next up for us is Christmas, of course. We'll we're going to be uh, in Michigan for Christmas. We are going we think we're going up to Bronner's and Frankenmuth, the big Christmas store to celebrate that. Take a couple grandkids up with us and then we uh, also um, we'll be here uh, through Christmas, and our first uh, trip is uh, coming up uh, on January 7th through the 9th is our winter campout mm -hmm. up in the snow at Taquamanon Falls, and if you are a regular listener, you're not hearing us promoted as much as normal because I, I get tired of people saying, well, it's too cold for me. <laughs> well, okay. Um, there's a group of about 
oh, 25, uh, 30 other crazy people like us who like to camp in the snow, and, and uh, they're all uh, coming, and we just love doing that. You can watch our video if it's too cold <laughs> for you. And then from there, we get out of the cold. We're going down to Tampa and the big Florida RV Super Show at the Tampa Fairgrounds. We will have a meetup there. Mm -hmm. yep. We're going to do that on Thursday at what do they call it? The beer pavilion? The beer dome. The beer dome. <laughs> the I beer mean, dome. I, That's what they call it. <laughs> it's on the south end of the lake, right, right on the show grounds. Uh, and that Thursday is January 20th, I believe. Mm -hmm. It is. And we're going to do that at uh, 2 o'clock. Sounds good. So come by and say hello to us, and we'll be hanging around. Bo's going to be with us. We're camping in the fairgrounds, so I don't know whether we'll bring Bo to the beer dome or not. There's food there, and Bo will be very excited about that. Yeah, but it's going to be too hot for the elk hound. Yeah. Especially after you've just come from snow. All right, we've got some feedback from a viewer that we want to share with you. All right. This is uh, Dear Mike and Jen. Thanks for being so open and sharing about the RV lifestyle, and especially for telling it like it is about the terrible problem of campground overcrowding. We just spent an entire afternoon trying to make campground reservations from May through October at state parks in Michigan, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Colorado. Mm. Of uh, five weekends we wanted, we could not get reservations for uh, locations we wanted at any of them. That's five different states, couldn't get anything that they wanted, absolutely nothing, and the that is just disgraceful. We're wondering why we have an RV if we can't use it the way we want to. Please keep telling people the truth about RVing. Well, that truth is that uh, with this unprecedented RV boom, um, campgrounds are booked up in, in popular areas. Most of them now, um, for the summer of 2022, they're booked up. And even before all this craziness, it's I know in Michigan, the western side of the state on Lake Michigan, that's always filled. That used to always fill up, even before all this. You didn't we quit you camping once because of this? We did. We, uh, this was like 30 years ago. Uh, we, we sold what we had and said enough because we got so frustrated that we couldn't find any place to camp. But then we went back to camping. Because, because we your, discovered boondocking. And your, your relatives, yeah, we got a tent. And, off we went. We had some relatives had relatives property. Relatives had some property on the nice river in Michigan, and it was great fun. So and we had that private land. Find alternate places to camp, right? Yes. You're going to have to. And, or get organized and try earlier. Yeah. I mean, try January. Yeah. Whenever they open, you've got to be there. But, but boondocking is certainly one uh, thing that you can do. National forest campgrounds, state forest campgrounds, you usually can find a spot. Um, in a little while, you'll hear our hidden campground uh, gems reports uh, from uh, campgroundviews.com. They can let you search sites and find openings in different spots. So you have to get creative. It isn't just going to the same old spots in the familiar state parks that you wanted to go to or the resorts that you wanted to go to. And let's also face it, the bigger your RV, the more difficult you'll have getting a spot. That's Correct. why Class Bs are so popular and Class Cs are so popular and towables because most of the time you can easily get them in. There are some fifth wheels that, you know, fifth wheels, you, you just, you know, they're too big. They're too big. So it gets really challenging to find a spot. We'll keep reporting about it, but we also want to tell you that there are other options and, and we hope that you guys uh, can follow those. And you have to start early. Yeah, that is the key.
All right. Hey, when we come right back, we're going to talk to a couple who have found uh, their niche to RV uh, living, and that is volunteering at uh, national parks. And they'll tell you how you can do it as well. You're going to enjoy this. That's how you get a spot. That's right. Yeah, be a volunteer. <laughs> you got to be there for three months, though. <laughs> yeah. All that's coming up in just a second. Whether you're staying close to home or wheeling across the country, RVers need the best value in medical coverage. Peace of mind for RVs.com has a Medicare enrollment specialist with 16 years of experience and can tailor your Medicare plan selection with the choices that matter most to you. So you can keep your doctors and make sure your prescriptions and medical care are covered wherever you travel. Peace of mind for RVs.com will help you get the most out of your Medicare coverage, choose just the right options, and they can even get you squared away with all the things that Medicare may not cover, like specialized emergency transportation coverage, air ambulance coverage, dental, vision, hearing, all at the best bang for the buck and tailored specifically for the RV lifestyle. You can find out more and get all your questions answered by going to peaceofmindforrvs.com. That's peaceofmindforrvs.com. When we're on a road trip, we always seem to find a way to stop at a Camping World Center. There are over 225 Camping World locations across the country, and there's always one close by when we need parts and accessories for our RV or just want to shop. In fact, uh, we have so much fun with uh, Camping World, and as we talk about it as one of our sponsors, they have agreed to offer a 10% discount if you use the coupon code RVLIFESTYLE10 when you buy $99 or more in merchandise. You'll find everything you want from outdoor furniture and appliances, the ones you see us use in our videos and that we talk about here in the podcast. RV extras that include everything from camping chairs to fire pits, electrical accessories, must-have gas. Yeah, just check them all out. And again, don't forget, use the coupon code RVLIFESTYLE10 when you visit CampingWorld.com. Welcome back, everybody. Time now for the interview of the week. And as Jennifer said, this week we're going to talk to a couple who will tell you how you can be pretty sure to get a really good RV spot at a national park, uh, as of all places. Uh, this is a fun interview. Karen and Tom, they both had careers where they worked for 30 years and they retired and so they decided to see all the national parks, get out there and volunteer at the national parks. And uh, since 2014, they've been to nine different parks. Working, working their way through them for long-term multi-week stays. They, they are such uh, good volunteers that they won a very prestigious award from the National Park Service, as a matter of fact. But um, let's not get ahead of it. Let's let them tell the story. Let them tell their story. You're going to enjoy meeting Karen and Tom Hartley. Well, Karen and Tom join us right now, and it's a pleasure to have you guys with us. And uh, I'm uh, thrilled to uh, be able to do this interview because we have talked many times about how much fun it would be to volunteer in a national park. So uh, you guys can share your opinion and your experiences. Why don't you introduce yourselves a little bit to the audience and tell them how that all started. All right. I'm Karen Hartley. I'm Tom Hartley. <laughs> and we started volunteering in the national parks in 2015, uh, right after we retired. And you, uh, you want to share what you used to do and how the, you guys made that decision? 
Well, I was a pastor and uh, a United Methodist pastor, and usually United Methodist pastors move around a lot. But I was at my um, church where I was for most of my career for 21 years. And I didn't get wow. to move around. And uh, so we wanted to do more traveling and moving around once we retired. I was a professor. And how about you, Tom? I was a professor of electrical and computer engineering at the University of Akron. And I was there you for, guys? I was there for 30 years. And so after 30 years, each of us had 30 years in in 2014. And we said, you know, we're tired of working 70 hours a week. Let's let's do something else. Had you guys RV'd before and RVers before? Yeah, we started camping with the Boy Scouts a lot and uh, doing backpacking and that sort of stuff. When our son graduated from high school, we had a little road trek, and we took that all over the place and spent a lot of time in that. And uh, then when we retired, we bought a fifth wheel, a New Horizons, 35-foot fifth wheel. Winterized. We had a big Ram 5500 truck, so it was it was a monster. So it felt like home. It was very comfortable. It was home, yes. And, and what are you in now? Well, so at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, we weren't quite sure what was going to happen, how this was going to go. So uh, at that, that point, we were spending enough for uh, RV pads that we thought, well, let's just get a little house, trade down the big RV. We got a smaller, um, it's a, a, a what? 26-foot leprechaun. It, uh, free, a coachman. It made coachman. coachman. There yeah. we go. Yeah. It's a, it's a motorhome. Uh, it's a little bit smaller, but it's definitely a lot more agile than we were before. That's a Class C, I believe. Yes. Right? It's a Class C. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's talk about national parks and how how this all came about and share your experience, and uh, we can't wait to learn what's involved in that. We, we do a lot of um, different stuff in the national parks. We've worked at nine different national parks, and we started it um, because people kept asking us where we were going to go after we retired. And uh, so we wanted to avoid Ohio winters. And so we... Karen, Karen said, I, I want to go someplace where it's not going to snow, where it's going to be warm. And so we looked around. Uh, volunteer.gov is the place you go to look and see what volunteer opportunities there are. And there are thousands of them. But uh, we, uh, I was looking on there, and, and Death Valley had an opening. And I figured, well, that's, <laughs> that's going to be a little warmer than Ohio in the wintertime. Let's see what we can do at Death Valley. And, and that turned out to be a really good thing. So we so started at Death Val Valley. We worked at Scotty's Castle, and uh, that's in the northern part of Death Valley. And it's an hour from a cell phone signal. Uh, it was two hours from the grocery store. So when you talk about being remote, Death Valley certainly was. But we were got tour guides at Scotty's Castle, and we had to wear clothing that was appropriate for the period and learn about the period. And we just had so much fun doing it. Uh, that we decided that living history tour guide interpretation was what we wanted to do from then on. Wow. So uh, what is involved in when, when you volunteer like that? Can you actually pick your positions, or does it just sort of work into that at each park? Um, if you go to volunteer.gov, it, it lists the parks that need volunteers and kind of what the volunteer opportunities are. Uh, and there's lots of different ways to search, but we usually search for RV pad first because if they don't have an RV pad, uh, we don't get this. Uh, uh, we have to pay for a place to stay. So, so normally we're going to work 32 hours a week, four days a week, and uh, they're going to give us an RV pad and place to park and all kinds of perks that go along with that. 
Uh, so we live for free, uh, and we work for free, and, and everybody wins. So the perks are, what are the perks? Because well, you're not getting any pay. Well, so we get free electric, free water, free sewer. Some places you get free internet, free free telephone. Uh, other places you get propane. Uh, some Most places you get a, a washer and dryer. We didn't have one in our RV. So uh, it just depends on the local perks. But you always get a place to, place to live. So that was your first one, Death Valley, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And now, is there a time slot that you go? You go normally when you generally you go by season. Um, so they require for RV volunteers. They usually require a three month commitment, and so we tend to go like we'll leave. Uh, we're leaving right after Christmas, and we'll start a position January second. And then you stay for three to four months, and then you might do a summer position that you would start in May or in June. Typically, they want you to start in May because the holiday shows up at the end of May, and typically that's a a big uh, weekend for them. So Memorial Day, they want you trained before Memorial Day. Well, my thing is I want to know where you're going in January. (laughs) Well, we're going in the winter. uh, You want to go someplace warm, and there's not a lot of that in North America. Uh, so uh, the last, uh, not last year, because last year was shut down, but the previous four years we've gone to Fort Frederica in Georgia, and we're going back to Fort Frederica again. It's southern Georgia. It's on St. Simons Island. It's about an hour north of Jacksonville and an hour south of Savannah. Yeah, we've been there. We've yeah, been there. There's a couple islands right next mm-hmm. to it. Yes. Jekyll's uh-huh. there, yes. Jekyll. Yes. yes. Yes, we've been to both of them. So tell us some of the national parks you've been at and what kind of, uh, of historical interpretation you, you did there. Well, the first one was Death Valley, uh, and we did the tours. Karen did the house tour. I did the underground tour. Uh, at Scotty's Castle, there's, uh, there's like a half a mile of tunnels underground, and so I had to give uh, tours of that. As an engineer, uh, it was kind of fun because it was all engineering, and, and so I got to, to really have a good time with that. Uh, second place we went was Chickamauga in Chattanooga. And there we only got to be at the desk. Uh, we didn't get to do a lot of interpretation, but you get to meet lots of really interesting people and talk to people every day, and so we, we enjoyed that. Um, but we learned that there were some questions that we wanted to ask to be sure that a place was compatible with what we wanted to do. We like to explore and do research and uh, learn a lot about a lot of in-depth stuff and be able to use it. So after that... Um, looking at my map over here, we went to Kings Mountain in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was actually an emergency place. We had planned on going back to Death Valley, and um, Death, Scotty's Castle got was in a flash flood, and the roads were washed away. And they're still washed away. Yeah. And <laughs> so oh, dear. It's, they've been working five years to rebuild it and reopen it. So um, we were kind of glad, actually, because we realized that we didn't want to be that remote and that far away from everything again. So we went to... Um, Kings Mountain, and that's where we really started getting involved in living history. That's a Revolutionary War site. And we um, did uh, interpretation for kids. I learned how to do candle making and cooking over an open fire, which, you know, despite our years of uh, camping, I hadn't really done it in period-appropriate ways. So that was uh, 17... 78, seven, what, what year was Kings Mountain? Around in the 1770s. Yeah, <laughs> during the Revolution. That sounds War. like 
so much fun to get to wear a costume, learn the history, go back in history, to show people how they did things. It is. It's I love fun. it whenever we go someplace and there's the interpreters yeah. that make it come alive. That's exactly it. And it gets kids involved so much with history. You know, because if you tell kids about dates and events, then they don't, you know, it doesn't stick. They don't get excited about it. But if you show them rolls that are cooking uh, on in a... In a bake oven, or if you uh, talk to them about how to fire a musket, then those are things that they really remember and enjoy. (laughs) What was the most fun uh, of the parks that you have visited, and and maybe some of the roles that you played in other places? Um, Do you have a favorite? I I don't know. I'm almost always a British soldier. Uh, (laughs) Not every time, but most most places I'm a British soldier. Uh, And I do musket demonstrations, cannons, mortars, uh, anything that blows up, I usually get to do that. (laughs) Um, uh, Also, I I did a little blacksmithing before, but I've been been doing blacksmithing. And as an engineer, I get opportunities that most of the rangers don't get because I I know how to do some things. So I've had to build forges and build bellows, and, and that's been kind of fun. This past summer, I learned how to cooper. Uh, which is making buckets and barrels, and that that was kind of fun too. I like that one. And I do weaving and spinning in addition to the cooking. Um, so wow. we we try to pick places that are previous to 1800, which was the Industrial Revolution, uh, so that we can use our skills of uh, building things from scratch, making things from scratch. And so Georgia is 1836. 1736. So, I'm sorry. So, and we went to um, Fort Necessity in Pennsylvania, which is the seven, 1750s, 17th, French and Indian War. Yeah, George Washington starts the French and Indian War. And we were in wow. Grand Portage, Minnesota, uh, which was the 1790s, and that's the fur trade. This last summer we spent in the 1850s. Yeah, they had all sorts of uh, cute gadgets there in the 1850s. Wow. Yeah, yeah, technology. They matches, you know. <laughs> they just went and steel to start a fire. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was in North Dakota. That was the fur trade also. Do you have to learn these roles or, and develop them yourself? Or have, are you building on something else that, that the Park Service has already set up and said, uh, here's what we need you to do and be? I think the answer is yes to all that, yeah. So we yeah. have a certain so skill set. Then. The yeah. Park's willing to spend time to teach you things. Uh, the Rangers don't always know how to do certain things, and you have to learn how to do it. Uh, other places, the Rangers know how to do everything, and they will teach you how to do it. So, so all the answers, yes, yes. I've only learned how to do the spinning and weaving and the cooking since we've been working in the parks. Uh, Tom's learned the coopering and uh, and some black, most of the blacksmithing since I've been in the park. So. Yeah, so they teach you stuff that they really want you to know. Um, they'll let you experiment with stuff, which is really fun, like the candle making. Um, I had a person who showed me basically how to do that, uh, but then we've experimented with it since then. And, you know, sometimes stuff turns out, sometimes it doesn't, but that just makes it a better lesson for the people who are watching. Now, now you guys specialize in living history, mm-hmm. um, and I imagine you have a pretty good connection now with the whole volunteer community in all of the parks after serving at nine of them. What are some of the other positions that people should know are available in in national parks that uh, are perfect for RVers? Well, probably the most common one is campground host. Uh, And a lot of the people that we've worked with have been campground hosts. We had jobs where we worked 14, 16 hours a day a lot of times. 
times. You understand that. Um, and we didn't want to do that in retirement. So we wanted a job that was done at 5 o'clock. <laughs> that's what we get. We close the door. We lock up the visitor center at 5 o'clock, and we go home. And and we're still, we are still in the park, but nobody else is, which is pretty amazing. And you work four days a week, and then you get three days off? Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, people can, how, how early do you have to apply? Uh, for example, is it too late for positions in 2022, or are there still? Well, I think uh, it just depends on where you want to go and what you want to do. How particular you are. Yeah, if you go to volunteer.gov, there are, there are hundreds of different things you can do. You can do uh, maintenance, uh, and I do a little bit of that. You can do archaeology. You can do computers, libraries, just anything that you have any interest in learning how to do or know how to do and want to help out with, they're going to take you. There, there's a place no, in the park for you. I'm wondering, did you meet a lot of young people, like college kids, that were working, volunteering for the parks, or is it basically people our age? Retirees. We meet a lot of young rangers, and that's fun. Yeah. But usually the volunteers are, are our age. If they're young, they're usually inter, um, interns or, or doing something like they're getting paid. Yeah. 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 And uh, you're there for three months, so you get to really experience the park. Mm-hmm. You have enough downtime. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Say, you have enough downtime to range out and explore. Mm-hmm. It sounds like uh, a, great, uh, a great lifestyle. And a great use of, of your RV. Uh, we will link to the website, and uh, we understand that you guys received uh, the uh, a special award for volunteer services for the national parks as well. We did. It was the Hartzog, that's a the former superintendent, the Hartzog Award uh, for Outstanding Volunteer Service, the Individual Award. And they give out about six awards every year, seven awards, and one of them is uh, for individual uh, volunteer service. And so after the pandemic, we stayed in Georgia uh, because we really didn't know what else to do. They had a place for us, but we weren't doing interpretation anymore, and they needed a lot of maintenance stuff done that wasn't getting done. So we just stayed there for six months and continued to work, and and for all of our efforts there and all the things we did, uh, we received this award. So it's one award for this for the entire year, for the entire country, and that's out of over three hundred thousand volunteers, six million hours. Uh, it, it's quite humbling, yeah. Because there are a yeah. lot of people well, doing a lot of things that get no uh, recognition for it, and, and uh, so this is for all those guys. You know, it's 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 a pretty special thing. Well, con- congratulations to both of you. We can't wait to uh, come across you in one of these national parks <laughs> this year. Uh, we may not recognize you in costumes. That's right. We, us, <laughs> we look uh, different. Uh, you, can, you, can, you can have some fun with us, and we'll immediately know who you are then. It's really uh, funny you. when Tom is being a British soldier because so many of the kids assume that he's a bad guy. And oh. uh, we're usually pre-Revolutionary War, and so he's not a bad guy. Nice we're all guy, British. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some kids think I'm a pirate, so, you know. That would be a fun role for me. I'd like to be the pirate. I like that. Yeah. Well, God bless you both. Thank you for sharing that. I think so many people are going to be interested in that. They certainly are. I think everybody who RVs has a desire to do what you're doing. Yep. Yep. Thank you guys so much. You're welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So we'll put a link to uh, that website that uh, Tom and Karen were telling you about, and you can find that uh, in the description below and uh, in the show notes. But uh, maybe volunteering in a national park is for you. 
I once thought that I'd like to be a volunteer lighthouse keeper, you know? <laughs> well, that could probably be arranged, but I think everybody, you know, this is like, what, a three-month commitment. If you've ever had any kind of heart's desire to do that, because they worked four days, they got three days off, you could explore the area, got a free place to stay, In a national park. In yeah. a national park. Does that sound like fun or yeah. what? Well, thanks to Karen and Tom, and we appreciate that. And uh, if you know somebody that we should interview for the RV podcast, drop us a note. You can reach us at Mike and Jen at RVLifestyle.com. We always, uh, our favorite is talking to other RVers and learning from them. And uh, if it's uh, your story, let us know. Or if you have somebody we should uh, hunt down and interview, uh, let us know that too. We'll be right back. When we're asked what's the most important modification we made to our RV, it's an easy answer. Battleborne batteries. Battleborne batteries are quality, safe, reliable lithium batteries that allow us to stay out there off the grid longer. Lithium batteries charge faster, they charge fuller, they're longer lasting, they're maintenance free. And battleborne batteries are protected by a 10 year guarantee. Now, in our case, they just dropped into the existing AGM batteries that we have. And they'll probably be the same on your rig, too. Battleborne battery experts can get those in your rig just like they did with ours. They can also match you up with the right cabling, the inverter, the charger, the solar controller, everything. Jennifer and I swear by our Battleborne batteries. They allow us to boondock off the grid. Check them out. Go to RVLifestyle.com slash lithium rvlifestyle.com slash lithium. Tennessee Land and Lakes is selling off a 1,500-acre estate known as the Woodlands at Buffalo River in large acreage properties from five to over 100 acres. Now, unlike most properties, these are virtually unrestricted, allowing year-round RV living in an incredible natural setting. It's like owning your own state park your property, your way. There's high-speed fiber optic internet available, wooded trails and big views surrounded by the most popular destination spots in Tennessee like Nashville, Kentucky Lake, and the Buffalo River. The pricing is phenomenal for this area, starting at just $69,900. There's even great financing. Take a video tour, get the details on the website myrvland.com. Welcome back, and now it's time for the news of the week, and we have a follow-up story about California. Yeah, we talked last week about this crazy rule that the California Air Resources Board was floating uh, to ban portable generators by 2028. They think that that'll reduce air, air pollution, uh, despite very compelling evidence that such generators are necessary, particularly for RVers, uh, but also for construction projects and sites like that. And there is nothing that is reliably or similarly priced as an alternative that you can use to power stuff. But these wackos out there, uh, they passed this, uh, this, this bill to, to ban portable generators. So you can't use your portable generator in your RV in California after 2028 unless the situation changes. Um, the industry was really upset about that because uh, um, they pointed out that a lot of uh, people depend on generators for life-saving uh, uh, life things like oxygen, uh, wheelchair lifts, uh, air conditioning, CPAP machines. And when they camp in Florida, they, they have to have those. Um, 
So it's a crazy law. That's crazy that it's uh, 2028. Well, at least it's a few years and, you know, maybe the political climate in California will change. Uh, the industry is, is just really perplexed about this. Uh, they had at the hearing uh, or the arguments that the industry presented about this, they pointed out that, you know, on, uh, you, can't use, you can't count on solar on cloudy days or foggy days. Uh, that stops all the solar charging. Um, and somebody sh talked about one of the big RV manufacturers, I think it was Forest River, that uh, did a test. They maxed out uh, solar on the roof. They just put everything they could, all these alternate energy sources, and the result raised the price of that RV by $20,000, but it was still insufficient for normal electrical needs. So um, anyway, um, another crazy decision out of California. Uh, nobody wants air pollution, but uh, banning RV generators, that is, that's insane. Uh, RV questions of the week time now. And do uh, you want to uh, share the question that uh, came in this week from uh, one of our... Uh, one of our listeners. This is from Brad and Lori. And it says, I'm looking at buying a new RV. How important is a generator for it? How's that and for a timely so, question? How big? The uh, one we're looking at does not come with a generator installed or a dedicated room for it. We uh, plan to do a lot of boondacking. We can put in solar, so we're hoping that is enough. Well, as you just heard, that's not enough. Now, solar is not going to do it. Solar will help top off your batteries, but that is not going to give you enough to be able to run all the things that you, you need to run in your RV. Um, frankly, I don't think I would buy an RV that didn't have a generator. Uh, all the ones we have had have had one. Um, we used ours. Uh, we were strictly boondocking in Tennessee all last week, and uh, we needed that RV uh, generator to charge the batteries after a couple of days because um, we were in the woods and there was, uh, you know, there was not a lot of sun coming through. So you do need an RV generator. And uh, in our case, uh, ours is 3,500 watts. And that's the minimum that I would recommend. I would also recommend a minimum of a 3,000 watt inverter, uh, if you can do that as well. So that's how, how big it is that you need. But solar just won't work. Or a wind generator on your roof. Yeah, right. <laughs> there you go with that. Uh, here's another question that came in. This is, uh, dear Mike and Jen, I have Verizon for my hotspot, and it works great everywhere but where I am camped right now. I'll be here for three months, oh and boy. I really need connectivity. I can't move locations because of my job. What do I do? Ooh. Well, uh, you've got uh, really one option and that is to get another internet provider. Generally, uh, we have found Verizon to be very reliable in 95% of the country, but where you don't have it, uh, chances are another provider will work. So that's always our advice. Have, if you can, if you must have connectivity on the road, and not everybody does, uh, have at least two different cellular providers that you can access for. Now in our case, because we work from the road, you know, that's how we get all of our videos and podcasts done when we're traveling. Uh, we have uh, invested, and I'm not, I don't really promote this a lot because it's extremely expensive, but um, save everybody say, well, what do you use? Uh, we have something called a PepWave dual carrier router. And it is, it's a hotspot. 
uh, wireless hotspot. Uh, this, the model is called the Max Transit, and it's expensive. It costs nine hundred and fifty dollars. So we just we had to pay that. We own it. It's ours. Uh, it is a very robust router. It uh, gets about uh, it um, gets like I say nine hundred fifty dollars. Mine has two SIM cards in it, so we have access through Verizon and through T-Mobile. And uh, it's, it's been great. Uh, the service I use is a company called internetonthego.net. Don't go to .com, it's internetonthego.net. You can check it out. Um, they're not a sponsor. I got no special deal from them, nothing like that. Uh, that's just what we bought and use. Uh, it's unthrottled, which means that when you reach a certain data point, like Verizon does, like T-Mobile uh, does, like uh, all, I'm sorry, I don't think T-Mobile does, but AT&T does and Verizon does, they throttle you when you get to a certain use of data. This is unthrottled. Uh, between the two cards, I can gobble up 400 gigabytes of, uh, of data, and I've never come close to that, even... October, in which we were on the road pretty much the whole month, uh, we didn't we didn't gobble up any uh, nearly that much. So um, that's what we use. There are other alternatives out there. Do a search, but you're going to probably need to get a second uh, provider. If it's not, you know, real robust connectivity, you might be able to get uh, like a MiFi from Verizon and a similar device uh, f that works on AT&T. Because generally, didn't we haven't we always found when one but when, when AT&T doesn't work, Verizon does. When Verizon doesn't work, AT&T does. So that would be our recommendation to you. Someday it'll be great when we get that Starlink uh, system going and it works with RVs, but that someday is still quite a ways away, I'm afraid. We had hoped it would we'd be seeing tests by the end of this year, but nothing yet. They did launch 60 more satellites last week. Though. That's good. Yeah. So it's all good. good. All right. So, uh, got questions? We love to answer them. Just uh, send us an email, Mike and Jen at RVLifestyle.com. Mike and Jen at RVLifestyle.com. Have you had it with overbooked, overcrowded campgrounds? Then check out Harvest Hosts, where RVers can overnight for free at more than 2,400 wineries, farms, microbreweries, golf courses, and attractions. Harvest Host is a membership service for those with self-contained RVs looking for unique, beautiful, and peaceful overnight camping experiences across North America. When you become a member of Harvest Host, you can camp for free at all these places. Jennifer and I are Harvest Host members, and we've made so many great memories at Harvest Host locations. There's no charge for camping, and your Harvest Host membership fee is easily made up with just a couple of stays. Plus, you have awesome places to stay. If you use our special affiliate link of rvlifestyle.com slash HH, you'll automatically get 15% off the cost of your membership. That's 15% off, but you must use the special link, rvlifestyle.com slash HH. All right, what's next? Well, we've got the hidden campground gems. And you know how everybody always says it's so hard to find a camping space in California? Our friend Mark Kepps has found one. Hey, Mark. Hello, Mike and Jen, and hello, everybody. Today, I'm taking you back to the state of California, and I'm taking you to a hidden gem campground located in a national park in the state of California. So now you're saying there's no hidden gems, Mark, in the state of California that are in national parks. Yes, they are, because you probably even haven't even heard of this national park yourself. The national park is 
Pinnacles National Park. It is located south of San Francisco and San Jose, inland from Monterey. Pinnacles National Park protects a, a mountainous area with very unique mountain structures, and it's also home to the re-released California condor wild population. California condors are the largest uh, land bird in North America. The campground, or the, the National Park is most popular for hikers and rock climbers. It's got these very uh, large rock formations that people climb on and, and hike around. So it's a great spot to go um, and visit for a few days. It's not a, a National Park that people go out of their way, way for, hence the reason why it's our hidden gem. Not a lot of people actually go here. Pinnacles Campground is located on the east side of the park off of California 25. The best way to get there is coming south from Hollister on 25. If you come north from this King City area, I'm showing on the Google map, if you're coming north from 198, that road's a little bit rougher, a little bit lesser use. They're both paved, but you know, it gives you an idea of the access into that national park. Pinnacles Campground itself is nothing to write home about. It's located in the National Park, which I guess you could write about that. You're staying in a National Park, um, but the actual camping spots are nothing fancy. In fact, right now we're looking at kind of a group area. Um, as you can see, it has rolling hills, oak trees, and kind of a sage feel. This location gets very hot in the summertime, and it is best in late spring uh, or late fall winter and early spring. It's when it's cooler there, you have nice nights, you can have moisture which keeps down dust and just overall, that's the best time to go to this campground. You'll notice that there's camp spots available right now. Those are those green icons. In fact, there's a number of campgrounds available and I just randomly picked these dates. So this is a good example of a location that not a lot of people know about. Um, you, I do recommend advanced reservations if you have the opportunity to make them, but Generally speaking, you can pull in here at most any time and find a campsite available. Pinnacles National Park has, uh, and the campground has paved roads, uh, dirt parking pads, and dirt camping areas. It's a good spot for smaller RVs um, because it's dirty, but if you have a tent, I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting your tent a little bit dirty and hanging out here in a national park. The campground is available year round. The national park is available year round. And Pinnacles National Park, Pinnacles Campground, is our hidden gem campground of the week. There'll be a link in the description below so you can actually go learn more about this campground and the national park itself. So the California Condor Program, the rock climbing, this is a very unique location. And if you've got a bucket list to go visit, visit the national parks all over the United States, here's one to add to your list. Back to you, Mike and Jen. There you go, you want a link to the Pinnacles Campground, uh, we'll put it in the description below or you can find it uh, in the show notes at rvlifestyle.com. Well, that's the podcast for this episode. We'll be back next week with another one. We should give you a heads up that we are going to take the week off between Christmas and New Year's. We're going to get a week off. Woohoo! At least some of the stuff. We'll still have stuff on the blog every day, but we're going to take the podcast off and, uh, and uh, probably our Ask Us Anything, and we're going to give ourselves a little holiday break. But uh, uh, we will be back next week. Thank you guys so much for watching. Happy trails.